know, since we're in the middle of this cool series on relationships, I thought I'm going to just take a little bit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go long. And let me talk just a little bit about this massively important topic. And so let me, let me make a run at it. But first of all, I wanted to do something very profound. I would like to give you little kids advice on how to decide who you should marry. So if you're married already, you can figure out if you married the wrong person. If you're single, this little kid's advice. Kristen, who's age seven, says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way a long time before. You get to find out God's choice for you much later, and you're stuck with that person for the rest of your life. Thank you. That's what Kristen thinks. Then Derek, age eight, says... When he was asked by, how can you tell if, if two people are married or, or not married when you see them out together? And his answer was, you probably have to tell if they're married by seeing if they're yelling at the same kids. <laughs> Craig, age eight, when asked, what should you do on the first date if the first date turns out bad and you want to ditch the person? Craig said, I will... <laughs> I would run home and play dead. <laughs> then the next day, I would call the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. <laughs> Pam, obituaries, yes. All right, Pam, age six, says, when do you feel it's okay to kiss somebody? Some of you want to know this. I'm yeah. going to tell you. Thank you. Never for you. All right, <laughs> Pam, <laughs> Pam thought for a moment on the question, when's it okay to kiss somebody? And then she said, only when they are very, very, very rich. Thank you, Pam. All right. Anita, age nine. Anita, age nine, was asked, is it better to be single or married? And Anita says, for girls, it's probably better to be single, but not for boys, because they really need somebody their whole life to clean up messes after them. That's what Anita said. Anita. My favorite, last one I'll give before I tell you what I really want to say. Number one favorite is a kid named Ryan. He was seven. He's asked, what advice would you give people on how to make their marriage really, really work? This is Ryan's advice. Age seven, always tell your wife, always, that she looks really, really pretty. Even if the truth is that she mostly looks like a super big truck ran over her face. That's right, gentlemen. That's right. Thank you, Armando. Compliment her hair. All right. So fun. Okay, here's the one sentence that whether, and, and let me just say this to you, whether you're single or married, what I'm going to zone in for a few minutes on applies to you. So single, married, it doesn't matter. I, I probably got the Married Longer Than Anybody in the Room Award, and it still applies even to me. And here it is. A hungry need is a dangerous need. A hungry need is a dangerous need. Let me play Captain Obvious and kind of give you some examples. First of all, that kid is adorable. Okay. <laughs> Lord, can we just pray for that mother right now? Because she's not going to sleep at all tonight. Okay. All right. 
Some of you gave that kid too much sugar, and it's your fault that mother is going to be up all night. All right. A hungry need is a dangerous need. Let me first give you, in case you're done with this thing, you go, I don't want to listen to you even 15 minutes. Well, let me, let me make a statement that may kind of wake you up. There is one place that me, Jeannie Mayo, agrees with Playboy. Now, let me quickly say, lest you get a little worried about me, I've never, I've never, I've never held a Playboy, I've never looked, I've never run, 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 none of that. But years ago, the co-author of the Playboy philosophy, a guy named Anson Mount, uh, and you know what, if you're in here, kind of, kind of subdue the talking to kind of a low roar, just a low roar, okay? And it's so cool, I understand, it's a party, so certainly no big deal, and the people are in the hallway, and that's cool, and that's great, and all that stuff. Maybe we ought to close that door. Maybe that's where all the loud noise is coming from. They're cool. They're awesome. Have a nice time in the lobby. The speaker's boring. All right. So, no, I meant that fun, not serious. Anson Mount co-authored the Playboy philosophy, and here's his, his quote, because I think it's profoundly true. It's why I agree with him. In the last 20 years, we have not gone through a sexual revolution nearly as much as a revolution in our search for intimacy. And that's really true. That's really true. So when I say a hungry need is a dangerous need, let me real quickly tell you the, the scripture I pull it from. Genesis 25 verses 27 through 33. Story about a couple of brothers. And if you have, have been around church for a little while, you certainly know the story. If you're brand new, man, we're pumped to have you. The guy's name's Jacob and Esau. And let me just read to you Genesis 25, 20, verses 27 through 33. As the two boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. And he was an outdoorsman, but Jacob, the other brother, had a quiet personality, and he preferred to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau. Isaac, that's the dad. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home when he hunted. But Rebekah, the mother, most loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Verse 29 says, verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, so the brother had been out hunting, said to the brother that was doing the cook-off in the kitchen, I'm starved. Give me some of that stew. And verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but before that, for real, this is in the Bible. Trade me your rights as the firstborn. And Esau looked back and he said, look at me. I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now if I starve? Verse 33, Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his birthright to his brother Jacob. Now, let me real quick give you context. Birthright was a big deal. It wasn't something small. If you, the firstborn son, got the birthright, it was the spiritual heritage, it was the property, it was everything good that the dad could pass on. There was no will. It largely all went to the firstborn son. It was the birthright. So to say that Esau, who was oldest son, going to get it all from his dad, gave his birthright because he was hungry to his, his kid brother, Jacob, just so he could get stew, is 
honestly unthinkable. And I, I wrote here, you know, I, I would make fun of Esau, but I'm too capable of making a trade-off equally stupid. A hungry need. You know, we just had a fun time but it, with speed dating. It's so fun. But what was most hysterical is that some of those people were super serious. Did you look at them? You know, you're looking, you're going, you're really trying too hard. I mean, you know, I don't even know how you heard across the table. They're screaming at each other. Yeah, it I beats me. And I'm watching telephone numbers be passed, and I'm thinking, you're courageous. You don't even, that guy could be a pervert. You just gave him your number. But anyway, but no, no, I'm sure it's the girls who were the perverts, not the guys. I'm sorry, whatever you want to say. But what, I, what I'm trying to say is a hungry need for all of us, not just on romance, can be a dangerous need. I wrote down a few. Hungry need for romance can make you post pictures on social media. You hope that some people around the church never see. Hungry need can also make you date somebody that you in your heart of hearts know is a compromise. Hungry need for acceptance, whether you're married or single, can make you keep checking your phone to see if, if people want to hang out with you on the weekend. And that same hungry need for acceptance, single or married, can also make you keep messing with your phone while you're feet away from real life people you should be talking to, but you're ignoring them because you're on your, your phone. As a matter of fact, um, a hungry need... Uh, to have conversation with somebody, to fill the loneliness, um, can make you lower your standards on who you have deep, meaningful conversation with or what you even call deep, meaningful conversation. A hungry need for intimacy in all of us can make you create a fantasy world for some of us in our mind filled with twisted desires sometimes. Uh, or just overgrown desires or inappropriate visions, pictures, whatever. A hungry need to be appreciated, encouraged. We all have it. But when it gets too big or to be, to be respected can, uh, can put you in a position where you give other people and their approval way too much power in your life. It, it just mention whatever emotional need you can think of the reality is any of them they're fine until they they grow big and and gosh there's not a person in here who doesn't relate to that married or single you can have the best marriage in the universe but that person is never gonna 24 7 meet all your emotional needs and so let me let me just say three quick things that i want you to remember and then we're going to go back into just having some fun as we wrap up and, and all that stuff. And, and some of this may bump you wrong, but I think it's the truth. Number one, romance and marriage is not what Hollywood and the media try to make it. Yeah. Romance and marriage are not at all what, what Hollywood, movies, media, real life is not what that is. I had... Um, I was married to really, and I, I won't go on a big thing on it, but I was married to honestly the man that I think is the greatest earthly person who lived. I just never met somebody. He's amazing. And he's now been promoted to be with Jesus, uh, this month. 
it, it will be a year at the end of this month. But what I'm saying is 48 years of an amazing marriage, but it wasn't. Like even sometimes yet to this day, I still turn TV shows off or, or stop watching certain movies because it arouses some feelings inside of me that make me feel like our marriage wasn't as amazing as it was. Because real marriage isn't with the soundtrack behind it all the time. Real marriage doesn't have the other person wake up in the morning hot. I mean, they may be hot, but it's too many blankets. It's not because it's not they look good. Real marriage is bad smells and bad sounds, ladies and gentlemen. And, and yeah, just think that through what that is. But, but understand that Hollywood, media doesn't tell you. First Corinthians 13, and we know it, tells you what, what real love is made from. I, I wrote on my, my, down here, real love comes from disciplined choices, not mushy emotions. And, and so, you know, it's fun to do fun things like speed day. I mean, for real, so fun and all of that. But please, for heaven's sakes, don't believe what media, Hollywood, all that stuff tells you. Because you know what? Even if you find somebody that you're deeply in love with, if you don't go with them long enough to have some of the emotions leave, certainly don't think about marrying them. Because real marriage is not all the time. Thank you. That was very fine. <laughs> Write that down on your notes somewhere. I wrote down here, real romance in marriage is certainly not feeling something most of the time. If you have to feel something most of the time in a romantic relationship, you're not in love, you're in heat. So first thing, you know, Fun night, but romance is not what media and, and Hollywood portrays. Number two, your brain will always be your most important sex organ. Your brain, how you think, will always be your most important sex organ. Married, single, whatever. And that's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, and, and you've heard the scripture probably, cast down, unless you're guest and... Gosh, again, let's clap for all our guests. For real, we're so honored to have you. My name's Jeannie. I hang around. Thanks for showing up. Okay. If you were speed dating, I hope it works out for you. All right. <laughs> Look pretty scary to me. All right. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, Cast down evil imaginations, bring into captivity every thought that does not line up obediently to the Word of God. That just means own your thought life. My amazing hero and husband would say all the time, old expression, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, which was his wife saying, thoughts, even not great ones, will come to the finest among us. The sin is not in the initial thought. The sin is when we keep thinking and playing with it over and over in our mind. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, a person will be as happy as they make their mind up to be. Isn't that true? And so it's, it's far more than just romance. You know, you can walk in here tonight and be in a rotten mood and think this whole place stinks, 
or you may be here tonight and think this was one of the funnest nights you've had in forever it really has a lot to do not so much with with who talks to you but what goes on up here and you control that you own your mind I wrote in my notes and let me just talk to you like the mom since you know because it's a house party and and some people call me mom or Andy so let me talk to you like a mom for a minute ladies on this whole business of romance and stuff whether you're married or single no fair to paint your clothes on and then say I don't understand why that man hit on me it's because you painted it on sweetheart but girls let me go a little further if what you're showing is not for sale then take it off the menu but gentlemen lest you think you got off the hook but they got two you've only got one understand that most guys don't want eventually to spend his life with well they don't want to buy or marry broken torn apart furniture so having said that it's no fair to be in the antiquing business yourself all I'm simply saying is that just because we go to fusion and this is a Christian place and we're in a church doesn't mean we approach relationships any different than those people out there and, and I'm just saying to you gosh how cool to be able to say that integrity is a word that we not just say but we try to live even relationally so your brain would be your most important sex organ last point and this one is gonna you're gonna go huh occasionally whether you're married or single visualize the disappointment the shame or the hurt that a lack of purity might one day bring to you or to the people you care about the most think about it single or married who you most care about and envision just for a minute their eyes when they find out that your hungry need has made you make some really wrong choices and it's it's been very costly the hurt the disappointment all of that um, <clears throat> today in, in staff prayer and I'm not going to give details because it's immaterial a, a mega church pastor in Illinois and Sam and I pastored gosh an hour away from this guy I've been in, I, he's certainly not a friend of mine um, but gosh his church was 25,000 um, he's been epic in ministry for a long time <clears throat> I was in green rooms with him it had come out a while back that several women said that he had come on to them through the run the ministry run he denied it all and then this last weekend some more things have come out and and one of his early assistants said uh, no that the women who said something had happened were not lying was not they not had sex together and see precisely can I lean in just for a minute I'm sending probably too much like a mom if the only thing that's your standard for righteousness is not having sex with somebody you're not married to your standards are way too low way too low so he had not had sex with any of these women but he had come on as a married man had a couple of children which are now grown up he denied it 
Now some further allegations have come out, making it quite clear. So plastered all over media, <clears throat> he had already resigned, saying, you know what, I, was, I just don't want to cause disunity, but I didn't do anything. Then current people put into Phil and Board of Elders, they've now all resigned because they felt like they should have listened more to the women who came forward. You know, it's just a, a big heartbreak. But this, you go, Mom, why are you even telling us this? I'll tell you why. Because <clears throat> I wonder how much that pastor, that guy, that man, that adult man, <clears throat> who's married and has two grown kids now, I wonder how much he'd give if he could go back to those hungry need moments and undo his choices. I bet he would take every penny he made, he would take, he would sell his house, he would take out a loan. Because see, the enemy delights to make all of us stupid. And you go, Okay, what's that got to do with tonight? A hungry need is a dangerous need. Um, I've already said that my amazing hero and husband was promoted to be with the Lord. He had a, we were on staff here. We had, we had senior pastor for most of the years. Then he wanted to slow his pace down. And so we were honored to come on staff here at Victory. And he did pastoral care. I got to, my love is all of you. And I got to just work with the gang over there in, in the middle school, high school, uh, Fusion, and Atlanta Leadership College. So, um, it, you know, he had a stroke as he was going to the hospital to visit some people. It kicked in a condition I'd never heard of before called Lewy body dementia. He very quickly lost his capability to even recognize me, his wife of ultimately 48 years, or his sons. And um, we were... Really honored to keep him at home. When I was at work, I hired a wonderful Christian lady to care for him. And then I jumped in when I got home, our honor. Having said that, it was only about eh, maybe two, three months ago that I found a box. I thought I'd found everything that belonged to him. But I found a box that he had tucked away some of the cards that his two sons, they're now adults, uh, had when they had written to him when they were little kids. I mean, literally, it was like when they were, you know, quite young. And then some of my notes. I'm a words of affirmation person. So I, I occasionally wrote things. And I'm going to read to you as we wrap up tonight the letter that I wrote to him 25 years ago. It is dated, let me find the date on it, June 1st, 1994. And why am I reading it to you? And I'll tell you why. Because I want to give you, as we wrap up tonight, and then we're going to pump it up and be fun again, a simple but tough to forget picture. Even if you stay single your whole life, the goal is not get married. I want to give you a picture of what integrity looks like relationally. Because I certainly, when I wrote this letter to him back in 1994, and again, I'd been married to him for over 20 years. I wasn't some young kid that was still having goosebumps. Anybody can be romantic in a marriage that's fresh and new while you're on your honeymoon or something. That's not, that's not anything. <clears throat> 
1994, this is what I wrote to him. My beloved husband, I've just returned from lunch with you today and need to take a minute to express what's in my heart. I'm sure you saw that I stayed close to tears a lot of lunch, especially when we were about to go our separate ways. I guess the Lord is making me keenly aware of how much I thank him for you. Sam, we've been married for over two decades now. It's staggering to realize that I've lived with you now longer than I lived with my parents or as a single woman. Sometimes I still feel like a little kid who's barely out of high school. But tonight, I will teach the youth and young adult group about the importance of relational integrity. And I want you to know again that you, my husband, will be my primary example. How's it feel to be the person in my life who has never seriously disappointed me? How's it feel to be the person who has most mirrored on a consistent basis integrity in every aspect of life? As I was thanking the Lord for you today, Sam, I had a flashback to our engagement days. I remember when you said to me during our one-year-long distance engagement, I'll make it up to you one day, baby, and how well you've done that. You've made it up, Sam, every time you unselfishly chose our sons or me over your own interests. You've made it up to me every time the bottom had dropped out of my female world and you continued to stand firm with me and for me. You made it up to me every time you tried to understand me, even if you had to fake it sometimes, when I'm sure the female side of me was pretty tough to figure out. I will ask all of the young adults in Cross Current tonight to end by writing a letter to their future or their present husband or wife, telling qualities that they want in, in the life of their future mate. I remember well when I wrote a letter something like this to my imaginary husband. Just know that over 20 years after writing it, you continue to be all I prayed for and much, much more. I still cry every time I hear wind beneath my wings because you're all of that to me. Thank you for being my ultimate hero. Thank you that though I long ago misplaced the letter I wrote to my imaginary future mate, I well remember the approximate last line. It, it read something like this. And my dearest future husband, may you always be someone who defines the word integrity by the way you live your life in front of me and any children we might have. You, my darling Sam, have done that a thousand times over. Pleasant dreams tonight, honey. Pleasant life together. To my earthly champion and hero, all my love and respect, forever your girlfriend. So why did I read it? 
You'll forget a bunch of what I've said tonight. Hopefully you'll remember a hungry need really is a dangerous need, whether you're married or single. That never goes away. But I want you to walk out tonight thinking, I want people who, even if you remain single your whole life, I want the people who know me best to be able to say something like that about me one day. Not that you're perfect, Sam wasn't perfect, but that integrity-wise, following New Testament standards, willingness to be able to admit when you blow it and ask forgiveness, humbling yourself, having the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to have one of your life goals someday, not to be like Sam Mayo, that's not it, but to be enough like Jesus that whether you're single or married, people who know you can do what we did. We have four sons, and we were all there when he took his last breath. Michael is here, and is one of them. And, and as we watched him right after he'd taken his last breath, we knew he was everything that I just described. May they say that about you one day, my friends. Not that you're perfect, because let me remind you, God doesn't care so much about perfection as direction. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome night this has been. So fun. So, David was so right when he said, you showed up at the right kind of parties yourself, and you've been here tonight. Such a great night. And so, Lord, as, as we wrap stuff up and we remember what a fun night, we just say, in all the right ways, challenge us, whether we're male or female, single or married, to live a life not of perfection, but of one that the people who know us best can say one day some of the things that, gosh, 25 years ago and still denied, I was able to say about my soulmate. Thanks, Jesus for giving us life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.